bonus baby, some bonus content while you wait an unreasonable amount of time for a new scene episode. So last year, my friend Andrew interviewed me for his podcast, Goodest Notes, which is a podcast that features discussions with creatives about the notes and feedback that shaped their careers. Unfortunately, just after we recorded the interview, the podcast went on indefinite hiatus, and so the episode got lost to the sands of time until a couple weeks ago when I asked Andrew, just send me the raw audio and I'm going to edit it. (laughs) Because it's a good interview if I do say so myself. We recorded it not too long before Butt Out Baby premiered, so you'll hear us refer to it as the fan podcast I'm working on. And also in the conversation, I tell Andrew about how I used fan fiction to survive my concussion and some notes on writing I learned on a podcast a zillion years ago, but I've never forgotten. And also the brutal realization that I, like many other writers throughout history, have written some shitty stereotypes without realizing it. And you'll hear me panic when he asks me questions that I wasn't prepared for. The rest of the Goodest Notes episodes are also very good, and you should check them out if you like conversations on craft. Hi, my name is Andrew Shankman. I'm a writer, mostly of kids' cartoons, and also the host of this podcast, Goodest Notes. On Goodest Notes, our mission is to interview career creatives of all kinds about the best notes and feedback they've received on their work from their collaborators. Because getting notes can be rough, but they can also be goodest. We're still workshopping the intro. Oh my God, I'm so honored I got to hear that live. It is. I've, I've found out recently that somebody thought that that was just a single recording that I replay, that we replay every time. It is not. I, that's how I get into it. Okay, today's guest, who you've already heard, is Ellie Gordon Marshall. Ellie is a writer and podcaster who has worked on podcasts such as Objection, the Pride House TO podcast, Wintered, Strange and Familiar, and an upcoming close reading fan podcast that I'm very excited about. Ellie is also currently writing for her first preschool animation series with Headspinner Productions. As a writer of cartoons myself, welcome to the dark side, Ellie. How's it going? Thank you. I got immediately nervous at all the credits you list- listed. Like The 12 of you that listen to those podcasts may remember her from them. <laughs> welcome, friends. Well, we uh, start off by launching into some icebreaker questions and I wanted to ask, you've helped to produce and create podcasts on behalf of several companies and organizations who are dipping their toes into the podcast world for the first time. What lessons do you think you've learned from helping people take the plunge into a a completely new medium? Oh, I didn't know you were going to ask me this. I'm definitely one of those people who like, I'm like, I need to prepare Andrew. Um, anyways, no, I have, I have some answers. I mean, I think it's just like on the end of the producer. So on my end is just being very open and flexible because people who are 
getting into a medium that they've never done before. And I think particularly podcasting, because people assume it's going to be very easy for some reason, is that it's going to be a real like growing pains at the beginning. So I was working with people who had never hosted before. And so initially they were going to just record themselves at home. And then I realized we needed to be together to do some direction um, and just sort of encouraging people. It doesn't mean that they're bad. Like a lot of people need direction. So uh, that is totally fine. So just being open minded to changing things up um, is the thing. That's an, and that's the thing I actually tell people a lot when people are coming to me for advice around launching their own podcast is that give yourself a lot of space to rework the pilot. Like don't feel like whatever your first idea was is the thing you have to do and it's very sacred and uh and even if you put it out into the world and you realize later you want to change it like change it it's fine um so i think that flexibility is like very key yeah that's great advice to like live into the space and and bridge the gap between your expectations and the reality <laughs> you know uh you wouldn't expect to ride a motorcycle for the first time which i i guess is exactly like podcasting i don't know <laughs> move on we're not going to dig into it too specifically today, um, but over the last couple years, I know you were grappling with some some pretty serious health complications. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because I wanted to talk with you about an outlet that you discovered during that time, which I know is really helpful for you. Um, I'm talking about writing fan fiction, which I think is very cool, and I've read some of it, and it was awesome. Um, can you talk a little bit about what discovering that pursuit or that outlet felt like uh, at the time and what it was was giving you to to take part in that. I realized I should have tipped this at the beginning. Could you just give a little definition, you know, of what fan fiction is? I can also give a shot at this if it if it doesn't come smoothly. Maybe you should. I was like, well, it all began with the Bible. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> incredible. Incredible. Paradise Lost. Right? Uh Oh, just to back up for a second here, I should clarify, fan fiction is what we consider derivative fan art, where people are writing stories using uh, characters um, from other works. And it is very popular and only becoming more so uh, on the internet. Yeah, I mean, I think I've, I've, I've been like a casual fanfic reader for a number of years. And I think I've always like secretly kind of wanted to write it. Um, but I think this is changing a bit, but there's certainly a bit of stigma uh, against writing fanfic as it's seeming like very childish um, or very perverted or something. Um, so that's probably part of why I never really dabbled in into it. But then, yeah, so just to give a little context, I got a really bad concussion in 2019. And um, during the, the worst months of it, I couldn't really deal with screens at all. And I couldn't even really have conversations without being flooded with symptoms. And so I had a lot of time to spend with myself. And at some point, I was like, I just need to tell myself a story um, as a way to distract myself. And I, th I thought of fan fiction. And I think uh, fan fiction was really perfect because I had no delusions that I was kind of creating some sort of profound work of art. And I think... Um, we have this really like disturbing thing in our culture where we romanticize like the idea that great works of art will come out of suffering. And so I feel like I even in the back of my head when I was going through the worst time of my life, like as someone who's a writer and a creator, you're like, 
should I be like doing something with this? You should be writing the great Canadian novel or... Yeah, yeah. Like doing some sort of Van Gogh thing. Uh, so I think fanfic was a really great outlet because it was like, especially the story I, the stories I worked on were like incredibly silly. So there was, there's no, there's no delusion that it was this big thing. And so I ended up like, I told it to myself in my head and then a couple of my friends were like, oh, I want to... I, I want to know what this story is. And um, I think also they're just being kind to me. So I would like update my story once a week um, through WhatsApp voice messages, um, like a chapter at a time. And so it meant that I had something to do with my my week. <laughs> like I would draft the chapter in my head and then I would practice it only in my head because even like practicing talking out loud would cause me symptoms. So it really like gave me something to do with my week and just the fanfic part of it was like yeah this is purely like an id thing and it's just reminding me that I'm alive and I'm so grateful that I yeah I found that as a way to cope at that time I'm I'm grateful as well and it, I mean it just makes me think about like how valuable art is detached from like even for people who it is their job to, in its own end you know art for yourself art for your community uh, you know, however small that is. Yeah. I mean, it's a way of connecting. Like you really realize that, that, that that's the point of it. Something I know that we have in common is that we both consume a lot of loosely educational podcasts uh, on writing and making art, you know, like, like this podcast, like Goodest Notes uh, itself. This is a question I often think about for myself. How do you think listening to cumulatively years and years of stuff like this show has affected your work? Or do you think it has even? Oh, it definitely has. Particularly the longer you listen to stuff, the more you'll sort of you'll hear some tools repeated, which helps them solidify and helps you kind of get an understanding that many people find these things useful. There's one podcast episode I listened to many years ago that I still think about. And sadly, it's not online anymore, as far as I can tell. It was a podcast called Typecast. And it was a recording of a workshop done with a newspaper editor named Steve Padilla. And you can still find his work online because I think he is a writing coach. Um, but he had a number of things he talked about in this workshop. Um, and the the things he brings up, I still think about all the time. Um and I have two that I thought I would talk to you about. Um, but one is a really obvious thing that he begins his talk with, which is that the most important thing about writing um, is not like the words and how you say things, but is like literally the meaning, like literally what are you trying to say? Like, are you being accurate? And it sounds so obvious, but it was the kind of thing that once I started paying attention in my writing and other people's writing you realize that so often people lean on generalizations or like vague metaphors because they look a little bit more like attractive or po poetic. Right, the aesthetic of it. Exactly, the aesthetic of it. And But when you like kind of drill down into it, you're like, oh, what does that actually mean, that sentence? No, it's confusing the, the intent. Totally. And uh, well, I have, a, I have a funny example of this from other people's writing that speaking of fan fiction that was a bit of a mystery for me for a while, which is that in a lot of fanfics I was reading, in the sex scenes, people were like, her eyes darkened, 
or like her eyes got darker as if that was even possible. Like I, I right, you're like taken out of it. Like what the fuck? Do- <laughs> yeah, and like this happened so much that I was starting to like be like, do I just do I just not know that people's eyes change color while having sex? And and um, and then finally I like. I came across one where they're like, oh, in the rush of adrenaline, her pupils dilated. Right. And I was like, oh, that's what they mean. But they just didn't want to like be clinical about it or something. Like, so they were trying to be like, it's sort of that vagueness about like, like, oh, this was happening. This was happening. And her eyes darkened. But like, what do you mean her eyes darkened? But they failed at the ultimate goal of delivering that information in their attempt to like not break the aesthetic. Exactly, exactly. And uh, yeah, that was that was very clarifying for me. But that's hilarious. <laughs> I remember around the time I heard this podcast, it was one of those things where like, I just published an article and then I'd listened to this talk and then saw all the mistakes I had made. Um, I'm in it. And so I remember that's why I remember this specifically, even though I wrote this like many years ago. And it was this article I wrote um, about this baseball player named Tony Stone, who was the first woman to play in the professional Negro Leagues. And she before like getting into that league, she did try and play in the like the league of their own league, like the um, there's such a wordy name, the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League. So she tried out but that was an all-white league um so she was rejected and the line i wrote was she was rejected due to the color of her skin and when i was looking at that after listening to this talk i was like oh i was trying to have some sort of like clever synonym for racism right but that's not actually accurate like it's not like there was this like organic force field that did not allow dark skinned people in it's like no this was like a human system that recreated and we have a very familiar word for it called racism right like i should have just said like due to racism but like i and i remember it i was like oh due to the color of her skin like and so that may seem like a very like tiny thing but once you start paying attention to that more clearly in your writing, I feel like I've found it so, so helpful when I'm like, why does this paragraph just feel sort of like floaty? And that's probably because I'm doing something like that, like in in it. I, uh, I also remember uh, you sending me that podcast and the like super succinct advice of if you're having problems with a sentence, your real problem is probably with the sentence before that. It totally blew my mind. I think about that a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, he, uh, I think part of that thing too, which which I is the other thing I think about all the time is, and I think comedians will be really familiar with this, which is like put the word you want to emphasize at the end of the sentence. And so I think that's part of the thing of like, if you didn't do that the sentence before, then we're not being led into the idea of the next one like very well. Right, you're off balance. Yeah, and uh, and that is that that has been dramatic in in and I even like just because I was thinking about talking about this and I was like I wonder if I have example from anything I'm working on and I found a sentence that I've not edited yet in this podcast the fan podcast that you uh uh were, were talking about and so the sentence right now is this shows her yearning for our I can't even say it it's so wordy <laughs> this shows her yearning for an alternative to her family's culture so first of all, so wordy. That just needs to probably be broken down. But right now, like the last word is culture. And like, I don't want to emphasize that. That's like, what? 
like, so looking at that sentence now, I'm like, the word I want to emphasize is yearning. Like, that's what I'm trying to talk about. And so probably when I edit this, I'll make that into two sentences. And one of them will just be, this shows her yearning. And that's what the feeling I want you to be left with. Not like, this shows it for an alternative to her family's culture. Like, what? So that is something I think about a lot. Dang, that's really instructive. Okay, well, we kind of jumped the line here into Goodest Notes uh, in a way that I was very happy with. But let's officially move into the main section. Um, Do you have any other uh, memorable notes or hands-on practical advice that you've received in your career that you'd like to talk about today? Yes. Um, And one of them is like directly a result of of your recommendation. So um, as you know, and as I'm telling the listeners, Andrew is like very key in me in my writing career as suggesting that as something I pursue more seriously, which I am ever grateful for. And when I was starting to write spec scripts for kids TV, you suggested this book called How to Write for Animation by Jeffrey Scott. And it is um, it's it's an older book now at this point, so like a lot of his industry stuff is pretty outdated, and it's he's m- only focusing on half hours, which I think is a, not so typical anymore. But a lot of the nuts and bolts stuff I still think is like very useful in that book. But there's one more like broad note he gave that I I feel like I realized I've been thinking like carrying with me in the like years since I've read this book. And one is, um, it's in a chapter where he's talking about how to write a visual gag. And he's like, you know, you could write it in a scene that has a lot of obvious props, like a bowling alley or something. He's like, but I like challenge you to think of places that might have like less obvious props, like a laundromat, or I remember he said, or a phone booth, which, yes. (laughs) Papa, what's a phone booth? (laughs) There, There is a phone booth. Yeah, there is a phone booth in the strip mall near my house, but that's about the only one I've seen in a long time. And anyway, so then he's like, uh, and this part I'll actually like quote him. He's He says, this shows how important it is to be familiar with people, places, and things in life. If you've never been to a laundromat, you won't know what's there and you won't know how much fun you're missing. <laughs> and that's just like the cutest thing ever. But also, I just... I, f- I remember reading that and being like, oh, my God, writing kids shows are fun. <laughs> like, it's just. Oh, that's great. And I think it but I think it even more broadly speaking, it's just a reminder that like the gifts of like writing and like all sorts of creative work is that it gives you permission to find meaning out of just mundane life. And like, what a just wonderful thing to <laughs> way to live your life. So I like, I still think of that laundromat thing of like, you won't know the fun you're missing. And I'm like, bless you, Jeffrey Scott. That's killer. That's great. Um, well, that's a good one. Uh, do you have anything else you want to talk about? Yeah, I have two that are a lot more specific about my actual work that I received. Yeah, let's do it. So yeah, so this is a note I got um a few years ago from my friend Christy who was commenting on a screenplay that I'd written uh that had all teen girls like as the main characters and she pointed out that one of the characters like basically her only defining feature was that she suffered a sexual assault and that basically the assault turned her gay oh boy (laughs) yeah yeah and I was like reading it and I was so taken aback I was like I am a queer feminist. I would not write such things. <laughs> like, um, and then when I like cooled off, I was like, oh damn, I 
I did do that. That is what is going on here. Right. I'm really like grateful for that note. And I'm grateful for getting it like relatively early on in me kind of trying to write more seriously because the way I think about it now, like writers sometimes talk about a a barf draft. Like, so like just getting it out there, it doesn't matter if it's shit, it's like your barf draft. But I think of those early drafts a lot more as my stereotype drafts. So like I just now have the expectation that my early drafts will have stereotypes. Sure. Huh. That's really interesting. Like that. And, oh, it, and yeah, sorry. Yeah. Go on. I'm cutting you off. No, no, no. Yeah. No, I was going to say, and, and that like, that is something I will need to address no matter what. So it just sort of like gives me permission to not try and be like above it all, which like, of course, none of us are like we live in this culture. <laughs> that's really good. That's real. I mean, I, I think that's something that I immediately agree with. And would say I believe, but like saying it so specifically, like to the degree that you, you know, label your draft that way, I, I think that's a really powerful perspective to have in terms of holding yourself to task, or you know, when it's appropriate, forgiving yourself for how ingrained this stuff is. That's that's really interesting. I was curious, like if you felt this way too, like when you first were getting into writing and like try, like writing scripts, reading a lot of scripts. I felt like I had a, such a better understanding about why problematic shit gets made Mm. like it just I was like oh these sort of like problematic archetypes are so ingrained that when you're like oh I need to write a funny man a funny man is a fat man right it it just it like it's it's shocking how much that just comes out of you um at, at least for me at the beginning and then I will kind of work my way out of it and like not all the time but like I just because I think so often as viewers especially if you're like a critical viewer you'd be like how can people do this and right of good conscience and reasonable you know perspective yeah yeah and you're like yeah man like if you've been hearing stories told in a certain way like sexiness equals this kind of thing like that is what you end up leaning on when you first are trying to like tell something in ways that i i found like way more understandable once i started trying to write myself yeah, I find that, I mean, both in my work and uh, as a person, I you know, sometimes it's worth, you know, you articulate an idea and then suddenly be like, where did that come from? Who do I believe that? You know, why do I believe that? So I have, I have one last one um, that was also one on, this is a very recent note um, that I got on that, the fan podcast I'm working on. So it's it's a note that I guess is a little, like a little bit more specific to nonfiction writing. Um, and writing for the ear, which is like a bit of a different process. Uh, but it's the first time I actually like paid an editor to give me notes on my own work. I've like never done that before, um, which is very useful and something I like actually, uh, has been a bit of a problem with my career in podcasting is that I tend to work with smaller organizations, um, where I'm the expert and it means I don't, I don't get notes, right. um, uh, on the craft side of things. And, um, so I, I feel like my learning curve has been a lot slower than some of my contemporaries. You're in, in the dark in a tunnel fumbling by yourself. Well, but yeah, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so in this case I was like, I think I actually just like need to hire. Um, so I hired this, this woman named Veronica, who is an experienced editor who I respect. And, um, she said something, um, that I'm like, I'm going to carry this with me. And it was, you don't always have to show us your work. And so the context, like, is a little specific in this case where it's a nonfiction thing. I was talking, like, I have to talk about historical things a little bit and do some asides like that. I think in this particular case, I was giving, like, a ton of lead up 
explaining why I decided to organize the sections of the podcast in a certain way, as this was like the first episode. Right. Um, and so I think it's an interesting, you don't have to show us your work. There's like a couple layers to that that I've like taken. One is kind of, I think, specific to me um, and, and storytellers like me where I like get really wrapped up in people really need to understand the context before I get to like the meat of the story. And like I do, I've had friends who complain about my storytelling style in this way where like if something like wild happened to me at a coffee shop like I won't be like this happened I'll be like so I woke up in the morning and then like I was like should I go to the coffee shop and I was like mm, maybe I will like I'll explain my motivation like first you must understand my childhood <laughs> exactly like I genuinely might do something like that like this is my association with coffee so uh partly I think it was a reminder that like I don't need to put so much context in there. Um, but then I talked, so I was telling Veronica about that being like, oh, that was such a good note for me specifically. Like I found that very helpful. And she was like, oh, it's really interesting. I actually think about that note as being a very gendered note. Cause as an editor, she finds herself giving it way more to women than men because she sees it as sort of like a confidence issue with your like authority. And, and in the context of mine, I was doing a lot of like, I decided to do this because this person said all of this. And I was like quoting a lot of other people. And she was like, you know, we're, we've gone this far with you in the journey. Like we trust you. So like have some faith that they're, the audience is like with you and you don't need to keep like proving quote unquote that what you're saying has validity by like quoting other, yeah, like voices of authority. Um, and I have not like fully unpacked that yet. Like this is so recent. But like, I was like, that's very interesting. And like, yeah, definitely a thing I've just literally never thought about. And um, I, yeah, I would be curious, yeah, if any people listening to this have had a similar kind of realization with their work or if you've ever thought about that. Yeah, huh, right. Uh, yeah, and I mean, it, it, it just makes me think of how valuable the perspective of an editor, <laughs> you know, or the perspective on how the world works that's contained by people who are kind of taking in work through that specific lens that is uh both very interesting and troubling looping back just a little bit to how it relates to your process specifically you know that that you know work is work <laughs> like the the mm -hmm. way that you get to those places is still really valuable without being on screen or in our ears and in podcast format or on the page um mm -hmm. it comes through without having to be physically represented yeah and i think like um and i think like in a just a, a non-gendered sort of like stylistic or not what like just sort of a craft way is there i think there are some writers who need to do like let's say in a more fiction realm need to do like a shitload of world building for themselves before they right, fill up the notebook you know yeah yeah before they feel comfortable like just describing a short scene and there's probably others who don't feel like they need to do that so Part of it is maybe just a personal thing and you just need to like learn what works for you. Killer. Th that was a back-to-back -back stack of uh, Goodest Notes bangers. Thank you so much. Oh, I prepped. I prepped. <laughs> you did. Yeah. It, it showed you and you did it without needing to show your work. Look at that. <laughs> uh, cool. Well, if there isn't anything else that you want to loop back around to or answer, um, I think we can move into our next section. It is time for unsolicited feedback. So 
I'm going to throw out some topics um, and I want you to try and give some constructive notes about them. You can be as quick or dismissive as you want. In fact, I demand it. So let's start with uh, your local hockey arenas. I was definitely like worried about this section. I'm like, I'm not an improviser, you know, like, can I just say something funny? Um, hey, you can pass on any of these. Yeah, I might have to pass on this one. It's been a while, sadly. I feel like the hockey's still like my sensitive spot with my concussion. So way to trigger me, asshole. Duh, son of a bitch. <laughs> uh, let's start with the, the fourth Matrix film. Oh my God. Like, Am I just like dropping bombs? We we could we could skip this entire section. <laughs> no 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 no. It's fine. I think like with that one, I'm like I don't even have feedback. So I'm just like I love you. Like I just want to like turn you into like you know those like really big pillows that are like the size of a person. Yes, body like, pillows. Body, yeah, I'm like what is <laughs> that thing? That's called, yes, a body pillow. A pillow for your body, yeah. If I could, like, put the feelings of that movie into a body pillow, like, I would probably just, I could just live in a cave. I found that movie so nourishing for some reason. And I think you said something similar that I felt, which is that you found yourself just smiling while watching it. Yes, totally. And um, I, yeah, like, I mean, as we talked about at the beginning, like I've had like a, a challenging like number of years and like to get that sort of like un censored joy from watching something is not something that happened a lot for me and so I'm I'm so yeah I'm so thankful for that movie <laughs> well I'm glad I I give you a little bit of space to talk about that on 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 the record uh, I agree what a great movie uh cool um next one less loaded I think can you give some constructive feedback to hats <laughs> Uh, I'm such like a writer in that way where I'm like, oh, I need to like go away and think about it. This is why I'd be bad in a writer's room, you know? I'd be like... We're cutting that part. We're cutting that part out. But... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think even just like the like sad exhale is perfect. Um, <laughs> we, we could move on. Well, I got two left and, and then you'll be free of this Okay, torture. for the love um, of God. Yeah, pass. Do you, do you have any thoughts on subtitles? <laughs> um... Good, bad. That That's enough. <laughs> Well, I'm trying to think, do you have any examples? Like what's... Yeah, do you like to... Do you find the experience of watching subtitled films frustrating? Do you enjoy putting subtitles on even in English oh, language movies? Oh, like closed captions. I thought you meant yeah, like, exactly. like, like Die Hard colon with a vengeance. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. Like subtitles, like the yellow text or yellow or white text. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why I, I thought that. I mean, subtitles are the 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 way I was able to watch Portrait of a Lady on Fire, like French movie. So like, I will forever be grateful because that was also one of the like, joyous experiences. I had to watch that movie like much earlier on in my recovery when I really couldn't handle screens. So I like watched it in like five minute increments because it was like harder to read the subtitles um, for my brain. But I, I was very grateful. So that's not feedback. I feel like everything I'm like, I just love it. This is a pretty ill-defined section. That's really good. I also like the idea of like the dictionary definition of subtitles being like the thing that l lets non-francophone people watch Portrait of a Lady on Fire. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, okay, last one and then you're free. Uh, do you have any unsolicited feedback for this this podcast interview oh that we're, we're currently having? Uh, no. 
It's no, it's, it's terrible. It's, it's Start great. again. I mean, I <laughs> I do recall that I gave you notes on Goodest Notes, and one of my notes was to change your title, which you didn't do. <laughs> I didn't do it's true. Although it did affect the way that I try and say Goodest Notes. Oh yeah, you do enunciate it really well. Yes, so. I think you were very right uh, to point out that it's kind of a weird word uh, to say out or a weird combination of words to say out loud, and I did do my best. Uh, it still feels a little awkward uh, to say, but I try and say it in a way that sounds less awkward to hear. Yeah, no, I, I think you were correct in ignoring that, but taking taking from it what, what you needed. The spirit of the note, which yes. is that it yeah. sounded weird uh, for me to say. Uh, killer, you crushed oh it. I'm sweating. Last main section. This is noting your past self. So the conceit here is that I have invented time travel and I am squandering this technology by using it for the sole purpose of allowing you to give notes and feedback to your past self. With that said, um, what point in time would you go to and what advice do you think you might give? Before I answer that for myself, I annoyingly have a note about people answering this question. Yes, <laughs> um, yes. Not necessarily on this podcast. I feel like the answers have been really good, but I worked on a podcast once where this was asked uh, all the time. And the the answer that was given a lot was like, I would go tell my younger self that like everything's going to work out and to relax. Right. Like relax was like a big one. And especially because I, I used to teach, hopefully I will again, um, people who are like 20, 21. And I really noticed like when I would have guest speakers, how common it was for people to, to disparage like their younger self and like, and in a way where it's just like, just chill out, man. Like what you're going through is like not real, like essentially. Right. And it's just like, no, it it is just as real as what you're going through now. Like, of course it is. And so I, when people say that of like, oh yeah, you know, when I was younger, I just was so worked up, like just relax. And it's like, what do you, what do you think? <laughs> yeah, I was doing this difficult thing and as a result feeling not good. But yeah. now I see that I could just not. Yeah, yeah. So I actually made it a rule like when I had guest speakers, I was like, you're not allowed to talk shit about your younger self because it's like kind of um, really um, disheartening, I think, when you're like a 20 year old. That, that's a good that's generally probably good advice, you know, perhaps not 100 percent of the time, but like even to ourselves. Um, not being recorded on a podcast or speaking in front of uh, younger people. But yeah, I do I do have an answer like specifically for myself, which is something I try and tell myself uh, now. Um, but I wish it had been more of like in my life philosophy since I was a teenager, which is do more things that don't come naturally to you. Like I feel like I, you know, school was relatively easy for me. So were sports. And so that's all I did. And it means, especially now that I'm into writing, like I want to have all of the experiences that I I can, and uh, and I don't want to shy away from discomfort, and so I, and it's something I I struggle with, like because I don't do this this very much, and I think like in our education system, we tend to praise talent over effort, and so that is something that happens to a lot of people is then they, they don't do those things. And I remember there's like a New York Times article that like the headline really framed this for me, which it was like in praise of mediocrity. And it was sort of just that, like do stuff that you're just mediocre at. Like that's just a part of life and it'll just make your life more rich and you'll have more to write about. That's awesome. And I very much agree. I try 
to both encourage others and myself to take up stuff and that you're bad at or like make things that you consider mediocre, that they are valuable, both for learning to do those things better and even in a and of themselves. Yeah, you are good. You are good at making mediocre things. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I know, I'm not going to let you follow up on that. I'm so happy. <laughs> Thank you. I, I, I'm so, I'm honored. Thanks for listening and scoot on over to Goodest Notes to listen to the rest of the episodes. I think we could persuade Andrew to put out some more episodes if he sees a resurgence of listens. I think it's a really great concept. I get stuff out of every episode, including for disciplines that I know nothing about. As always, follow Butt Out Baby on Instagram. I cannot promise you timing in terms of upcoming episodes, but I do have some great guests lined up. Until then.